0: I'm Melinda Hemmelgarn, a registered dietitian and investigative nutritionist on a mission to connect the dots between food, health, and agriculture, and find food truth. And today, I am delighted to welcome my guest, Ms. Rhonda Sherman. She is an extension specialist in the Department of Horticultural Science at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, where she provides leadership for university outreach programs on solid waste management issues. She's also the author of the award-winning book titled The Worm Farmer's Handbook, Mid- to Large-Scale Vermicomposting for Farms, Businesses, Municipalities, Schools, and Institutions. Affectionately known as the Worm Queen, Ms. Sherman's area of expertise includes vermicomposting, composting, recycling, and waste reductions— She speaks internationally and has authored over 65 publications on these topics. She also organizes an annual conference on large-scale commercial vermicomposting, and the conference for 2022 will take place on October 22nd and 23rd. She is also the founder and director of the Compost Learning Lab at North Carolina State, where you'll find a 40-by-30-foot worm barn. Ms. Sherman holds degrees in environmental studies and urban regional planning and environmental resources analysis with an emphasis on solid waste management from Western Michigan University in Kalamazoo. I wanted to bring Ms. Sherman on the program because of my interest in reducing food waste, specifically kitchen waste in an age where we are so focused on reducing our weight stream in light of climate change issues. So welcome, Rhonda. It's great to have you with me. Well, thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. Well, Rhonda, I saw a statistic that blew me away. It was from the Environmental Protection Agency. It said that one-third of all food in the United States goes uneaten, And the EPA estimates that in 2018, about 81%, or 20.3 tons, of households' wasted food ends up in landfills or combustion facilities. That can't be good for the planet.
1: It's terrible for the planet. What people don't realize is that food in landfills will decompose very slowly in an airless environment. So it's anaerobic conditions, and that creates methane. And so methane is emitted from landfills, making them the number three category of human activities that cause methane, which is horrible for the climate. Methane is many times more potent than carbon dioxide for harming the climate.
0: So there are some municipalities that say they are tapping that methane, for use in energy. What do you think about that? Very
1: few. Very few communities. Because the problem is, when you site a landfill, it really needs to be away from, it needs to be away from houses and schools, and there usually aren't many businesses located nearby. And a business needs to be within a mile of a landfill for them to pipe the methane to that business, turn turbines that will generate electricity. So it just hardly any landfills, of all the thousands of landfills that we have in the United States, hardly any of them are capturing the methane and using it for energy. Most of the methane is just flared off into the atmosphere.
0: Wow. Well, it always kills me to see people putting Leaf waste or grass clippings in bags, often plastic bags that are, that will be carted off to a landfill. And then of course there's the whole kitchen waste issue that is specific to my area of focus. But it seems to me through your research and your excellent guide sheets, and we'll provide a link to that for our listeners, that there are so many things that could be going into backyard compost for our gardens, saving climate impacts as well as benefiting our gardens. So let's dive into this. How did you become interested in composting in the first place?
1: Well, my work with solid waste management began 42 years ago when I was hired to correlate to figure out why clusters of households in rural communities couldn't use their water. Their water was so contaminated, they couldn't brush their teeth, do their dishes, bathe their bodies. And they were trying to figure out, well, where did this contamination come from? It came from dumps. This is before we had the engineered sanitary landfills. And so that was alarming. And it set me on a lifetime of wanting the career of wanting to keep waste out of the landfill. And so I did a lot of work with recycling, and I was hired by the university 29 years ago because recycling had just been mandated in our state, and people were calling the land grant university to say, hey, how do we recycle? When I say people, I mean garbage dump managers, (laughs) landfill managers, and citizens, all sorts of people. So I was answering their questions, and I was going to state and national conferences on recycling, and all they talked about was cans, paper, and bottles. And I kept thinking, wait a minute, what about the food waste? And food waste was rarely mentioned at these conferences. And so for much of my career, I've been banging the drum about food waste for three decades now, but it's only within the last decade that people really started to notice and say, oh, that's right. I guess we need to do something about food waste. Yeah, And food waste is harder to manage than the solid canned paper bottles, different handling methods. And so that's one reason why it's behind. Now, over well over 100 communities throughout the United States do collect food waste for composting. But really, in 1994, I co-founded the National Backyard Composting Program because we had, there were studies done throughout the United States and Canada examining communities, and they found that really the, the cheapest way, the most efficient, lowest carbon footprint, and least expensive way was for communities to encourage their residents to compost in their backyards so compost in your backyard if you don't have a backyard you could have a worm bin a worm bin can be indoors or outside but if you keep your food waste on site and manage it yourself then your community doesn't have to pay for trucks and personnel and fuel and emissions like, to collect the food waste and take it to a permitted landfill. I'm sorry, permitted camp composting facility. So okay. it just makes sense to do composting at home. And then you can use the wonderful benefits because you're taking waste material and you're turning it into a valuable product that makes your soil healthy and can help you grow healthy plants.
0: Right. Well, your State Extension Guide, Backyard Composting of Yard, Garden, and Food Discards, is probably one of the best I've ever seen. And for me, what was so surprising was the long list of items that can be added to that compost pile, as well as your excellent chart looking at carbon to nitrogen ratios. So I thought we could dive into a little bit of the surprising things that you can put into your own compost bin. And I have some specific questions too. So for example, you've got pizza boxes listed on what you can put into your compost bin. I've never heard of that. Do you have any concerns about that?
1: The thing is, you're not going to take a whole pizza box and stick it in your compost bin because particle size is super important because what's making the organic materials break down is the action of microorganisms. And think about them. You you can't even see them. They're tiny. And so it's really important to tear things up and have things that are... Less than two inches
0: okay. when you
1: compost them. You'll notice on my list, I think it's in my publication, I composted my cotton futon. So I had like a double size futon, so a really big mattress, And but it was all cotton. And I thought, why would I throw this into a landfill? So I composted it, and it just dis- disappeared within a few months.
0: Oh my gosh, that's probably the most surprising thing I've ever heard going into a compost pile. But you've got some other items here that are also interesting. Wine corks and toothpicks and hair and fur and dryer lint, vacuum contents and floor sweepings. Things that, when I think about compost, I think about my kitchen scraps. You know, I keep a little pot in my sink, and I put all my vegetable scraps in there and my coffee grounds, but I hadn't thought about adding some of these other items. What do you find to be most surprising to the audiences that you speak to about what can go into a compost bin and what can't?
1: Well, I think, yeah, like dryer lint, people don't think about that. And me, it's automatic now as soon as I clean out my dryer lint, it automatically goes into my, where I'm collecting my compostables. which by the way, you said that you have a little container in your sink. And that's what most people do. But what I do is I keep containers in the freezer. So I have two plastic shoe boxes. You can buy them for a dollar and they don't have a lid. You don't need a lid because they're just sitting open in my freezer. And so my lint and all of the other things on this list, they go into the containers in my freezer and they immediately freeze. And so there's no decomposition. There's no odors. So it takes away the yuck factor. So people really like that.
0: Yeah, I agree. Well, I do put eggshells, of course, into my compost bin, but I was curious about the crustacean shells. So things like if you're boiling shrimp and you're peeling off that outer shell, I've often thought that they would be great in the garden because they would have a higher nitrogen content.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you could.
0: I was glad to see that on the list. And then how much do you have to break things down? Like, If I'm putting something like eggshells or the crustacean shells, should I crush those up? really well first, or can I just put them into my outdoor compost pile and maybe use a shovel and mash them in?
1: Well, the answer is yes to both. Ideally, you would crush them. But I try to make things easy for my audiences and for myself. So I break an egg, got the two halves, and I just toss them in my freezer. And sometimes I'll Crush them with my hand, but and so they're resistant to breaking down. And so, if you open up my compost bin right now, you would see eggshells in there, but they're not causing any harm, they're just not breaking down as quickly as the other things will. I see. So, food waste is mostly water, and we hear that, and it's hard to visualize a stalk of broccoli as water, right? We know that the stock part that it's hard for us to even bite into, but it is mostly water. And so the beauty of putting your food waste in the freezer is that that water will freeze. It'll turn to ice crystals. And then when it thaws, it releases all of that water. So it actually kind of, it's kind of a pre-digestion process that will speed up the decomposition of your food waste.
0: That's interesting. Well, I was also curious to see that you have a simple compost recipe. And again, this is now going from the kitchen to outdoors. And you've got a bin and you say we should combine leaves, grass, food scraps and coffee grounds at a two to one ratio mixture of browns and greens. So let's talk about what you mean by browns and greens.
1: So, browns would be carbonaceous materials, so things that are higher in carbon, and that's why I have that little chart in my publication Right. that shows, because it's not always brown. And actually, uh, we know that coffee grounds are brown, but they're actually higher in nitrogen. Yeah, I so was
0: surprised at that.
1: Yeah, so it's not always clear. Right. But now, when I teach, I give about 50 lectures a year. And I teach people a really simple way to compost because I wanted to make it simple so that no one has excuses. Somebody who's super busy or somebody who has a bad back or other physical limitation, I don't want them to say, oh, I can't do this. And so I found just a really simple way of doing it. And what I do is I have a compost bin in the backyard, of course, and I fill it two-thirds of the way with dead tree leaves, and then I don't have to add more. So my composting, my act of composting, takes three minutes every week and a half to two weeks. Three minutes. So anybody who says they're too busy, it's like, really? You can't spare three minutes every two weeks?
0: Do you turn that mixture
1: I don't turn it because I have a bad back. And so I have to be very careful about how I use my compost bin, which is good because it helps me teach people who have other physical limitations like I do.
0: And so
1: fill it two-thirds of the way full of these brown, dead tree leaves. And then what I do, I use a digging fork. So it's not a pitchfork. But it's called a digging fork or a potato fork. Uh huh. So it's, so compared to a pitchfork, it's straighter, it's shorter, it's not, it's narrower, and it has a handle. And it's perfect for fitting inside a compost bin. And so I just go out there and I just stab the pile, stab into the leaves about three quarters of, of the way across. So there are still leaves on the other side of my, of my digging fork. And then I pull the digging fork towards me, which creates a hole in the leaves. And then I just stab it in and that holds the leaves and I don't have to hold the fork. I'm hands free. I can take my two plastic shoe boxes filled with food waste. I just dump them in the hole and then I take the digging fork and I pull it out of where I had stabbed it into the pile and I just cover the food waste with leaves. And so the food waste, which food waste on its own, will get stinky. It will attra- it could attract animals and insects. But now it's hidden. It's encased in this compost pile. It's encased in leaves. So there are dead tree leaves under the food, on the sides of the food, and on top of the food. And I just leave it like that. And then I walk away and I, and I literally don't come back for a week or two until my two containers are full. And I'll go out there and the compost pile, the level has been reduced by a whole foot and all that water that was in the food waste, it adds the moisture that's needed in the pile and the food waste is gone when I go back. And nothing is attracted to it. There was one day when I was in a hurry and I was like, I don't have to be so picky about covering this food waste. And then I happened to come back by the compost pile, you know, several days later, and noticed insects buzzing around outside. And I thought, ha, that's because I didn't cover the food waste. So I've been covering it ever since and no insects, no odor, no ick factor.
0: Well, wow. Rhonda, let me take one break because we're a little bit over halfway through and just remind our listeners that if you're just joining us, you're tuned into Food Sleuth Radio. We are speaking with Ms. Rhonda Sherman. She's an extension specialist in the Department of Horticultural Science at North Carolina State University in Raleigh, and her expertise is. Vermicomposting, Composting, Recycling, and Waste Reduction. So you've given us some good tips on easy composting, and it is amazing to see that food waste just dwindle, and we're saving all of these garbage bags, as you say, all of the manpower and energy used in hauling food waste from our homes to the landfill, which is quite remarkable. And I just cannot get over the numbers when we consider just how much food waste is generated, not even industrially, but residentially. So your tips on creating a compost pile are really important. And then, of course, we get this black gold that we can put on our gardens. And that takes me to this carbon-nitrogen ratio, which we've touched on, But how critical is this to be paying attention to the amount of coffee grounds versus autumn leaves or vegetable scraps? Do we always have to sort of be mindful of that ratio?
1: No, and I say that because again, I have distilled from thirty years of teaching this. I've listened to the questions from different people and comments from different people from different backgrounds and different ages, and. I've just tried to make this as simple as possible for people. And so that's why today I'm saying all you need to do, like I said, fill your backyard compost bin two-thirds of the way full of dead tree leaves. Add the food scraps. I don't drink coffee, so I don't have coffee grounds, but you don't need them. I used to think people would say, oh, my my compost bin is sitting there, and it's not decomposing. And I would think, oh, they don't have enough nitrogen. Well, it turns out that what i found over the last 30 years is most people don't have enough moisture. They don't realize that the action of decomposition is fueled by microorganisms. Microbes have the same needs that we do as humans. They need air, water, they need food, and adequate shelter. And so most compost bins are too dry. And that's why they're sitting there and they're not decomposing. They're just too dry. They need to be 50% moisture. And so if you can visualize a kitchen sponge... So you've got a brand new kitchen sponge. It's dry, right? Mm-hmm. You run it under water. And so now it's saturated with water and you squeeze the excess water out and then you set it down next to your kitchen faucet, right? Mm-hmm. And you can see that it's still moist and, but it's not dripping liquid all over the place.
0: Right. And
1: so I visualize that with my compost bin you've got to be able to see the moisture. There are ways of doing like a hand test to test for moisture, but you can just see it with your eyes. You can glance at a bin. You can look at the materials inside a bin and just with your eyes, you can tell whether it's too dry or or if it's moist.
0: Right. You've got a very well-trained eye, so I'm trying to take the novice through this process. I have a question about the bins. Let's say a person doesn't have access to a big plastic bin for whatever reason. They want to just do it on the ground. Is that possible? Just make your pile and add things to it, maybe behind a garage or off to the side of your yard?
1: Oh, yeah, yeah. You you can just have a pile. It's just something that if you're only putting leaves in it, definitely, you right. can just have a pile. If you're putting food waste into it, because most people don't get, they're not thorough about covering food waste, that's when you could get animals to smell the right. food and get into it. Right. So, so when I give my PowerPoint lecture on this, you know, I tell people, yes, you can just have a pile, but... You just have to be aware of your circumstances. So if you're in a suburban neighborhood with HOA rules, right, uh, it, with a small yard, it's probably, and, and you're going to compost food waste, which you definitely have to do because we have to stop climate change and with methane that's emitted from food waste in landfills. Right. And so, So just in consideration of your neighbors, you might want to have a bin because it keeps it tidy sure. and it can keep the animals away.
0: And when is that compost ready to go from the pile onto my garden bed?
1: Well, so it depends. There's there's hot composting and cold composting. And so people have to decide what their needs and desires are for generating compost. Some people never even use their compost. They, they just, you know, use their bin decompose their food waste. And not that much compost is generated that you have to clean out the bin. And then you have other people who want to use it. And it really depends on how long it's been in the bin, how, how much it's composted. For example, if a huge composting facility that's permitted by the state, that is required to go through the heating process. Sure, And so it goes into the thermophilic stage where the temperatures are over 131 degrees Fahrenheit, and then the temperatures start to come down, and then you don't just remove the compost from there. When people buy compost and they say, oh, that compost burned my plants, it's because it wasn't cured long enough. Mm. So it has to go through a curing process. So it really depends on how long people are, what they're doing with their compost piles.
0: Well, Rhonda, you've got a truly excellent guide sheet. You've got troubleshooting composting problems. You've got the how-tos very well spelled out. You've got directions for using compost. We just have a few minutes left, and I want to make sure that you bring forth some key points that you want beginning composters to know.
1: Okay. Okay. Sure. Well, first of all, definitely compost your food waste. Compost or vermicompost your food waste. Do not put it down the drain or send it to landfills because it's very harmful to the environment. So just, and and like I said, it takes very little. And so that's why I've got, you know, I've got videos and all sorts of information on my website. So I encourage you to check that out because it doesn't have to be as hard as you think. There are a lot of myths that get passed around and people are like, oh, it's icky, it's stinky. No, it doesn't have to be. Mine isn't stinky. And it's it's because I'm keeping my food scraps in the freezer so that doesn't stink. And then I'm taking it directly to my compost bin and walking to my backyard and putting it in the bin and walking back three minutes and I'm done. And that's every two weeks. So it can be very simple.
0: Mm -hmm. I'm just amazed at how much piles shrink without even using the compost. So as you said earlier, this is a really wonderful way To reduce the impact of food waste on climate change, you do have excellent videos on your website, as well as lots of guide sheets, including information on vermicomposting. In a nutshell, what would you say about that?
1: Well, the vermicomposting, I actually have a lot more information about that on the website, and it's just due to popular demand. Okay. literally people in 120 countries have contacted me personally to for asking for advice about vermicomposting. And so that's that's why I have you'll find more information on vermicomposting on my website just because people are so interested in it. It's
0: wonderful. It's a great way to reduce our food waste and to just help the planet and help mitigate climate change. So we are out of time. We've got to close, but I want to thank our listeners for joining us. Remind everyone that Food Sleuth Radio is produced by Dan Hemmelgarn for KOPN Studios in beautiful downtown Columbia, Missouri. But most of all, I want to thank my guest, Ms. Rhonda Sherman, Extension Specialist in the Department of Horticultural Science at North Carolina State University in Raleigh. And I cannot brag on her website enough in terms of having publications available videos if you want to get into vermiculture or worm growing and using that on your garden or if you want to learn how to compost this is the source and I will provide a link to that for our listeners so Rhonda thank you so much
1: you're very welcome it was my pleasure